Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Earl. Hello. We're going to spend today talking about Amazon. We've touched upon the company at multiple points, you know, over the history of Punching Out. Some of you who've been listening since the beginning might remember that one of our earliest episodes was about the conditions at Amazon's warehouses. This was at the time when Rochester was thought to be in contention for HQ2, which, of course, it never was. The title of that episode was Disposable Me, which I'm still very fond of. <laughs> very good. Yeah. More recently, we talked about um, some of the backlash they've had from the workers about what they're doing with their technology and why their workers aren't too keen on helping them do that. And we're going to touch on that to some extent today. But we want to start with last week was Prime Day, which is um, Amazon's version of Christmas in July, basically. You know, it's, it's multiple days, actually. It's two days now. And they're looking to extend it to a week, apparently. Mm-hmm. It's going to be not long before we have songs about the 12 days of Prime Day. jeez. Oh, and to ring in Prime Day, workers in Minnesota decided to go on strike, which uh, is the first time that such an action has happened at one of Amazon's facilities. Uh, in relation to a big shopping day like Prime Day where they have these sales. Tell us about why, why are they going on strike? Uh, well, the thing that they, they specifically talk about is this thing at Amazon that's referred to as the quote-unquote the rate. Uh, and the rate is the actual, basically the productivity numbers that they're expected to meet. And these are the things that that when you read the articles about people not taking bathroom breaks or like not drinking water so that they don't have to go on bathroom breaks and stuff, it's because they have this number that they're supposed to meet and they're constantly reminded of it. Like there's, there's monitors in front of them that show literally color coded red, yellow, green, you know, whatever. So the, the workers aren't, I mean, they have complaints about compensation things as well, but this specifically was just about the, the meat grinder that they're put through at Amazon and the fact that the working conditions are horrible. And the fact that they're getting worse. Right. Um, the the article that we're all quoting from, which is from The Verge, it's it specifically discusses that three years ago at this warehouse in, in Minnesota, this fulfillment center, mm-hmm. <sighs> the, the rate was something like 100 items per hour originally. I, I can read directly from the article. Okay, uh, so quote, when Muhammad started working at the Shakopee Fulfillment Center three years ago, her rate was in stow was 120 items per hour. Now it's around 280. Yeah. Workers say they were once permitted one error per 1,000 items. Now they are allowed one error per 2,200. When they make an error, workers say they must work twice as fast to get their ratio back in good standing. So they're working you know, twice as fast just to keep up with the rate, and they're expected to be twice as good while doing that. Right. And the reason why, according to Amazon anyway, is that now so much of their job is automated. When they're, uh, when they're picking items off the shelves now, and we talked about this on a previous episode ourselves, I think it was literally the same three people, now instead of them actually running to a shelf, grabbing the item, putting it in a box and whatever, now it's supposed to be they send an order to one of those robots and mm-hmm. that does all of that for them. They just have to stuff it in the box. And that's the order for fulfilled, basically. So there's, um, once again, automation, which is ultimately supposed to make your job easier Mm -hmm. and and less demanding in some ways. It's just used to bump up those productivity metrics. And then, of course, some of those graphics. I'm interested in knowing this. I don't know if this is the case at Shakopee. But we talked on that previous episode about how Amazon is using video games right. to stop their workers from just walking off the job or whatever. They're gamifying these metrics, you know, making it so that, you know, you might get a little virtual star for meeting your metric over an hour or something along those lines. Yeah. Right. I'm interested in knowing if that fulfillment center <laughs> used those. Right. 
just a quote from the article to give a broad picture. Uh, when, when an item is ordered, a robot rolls a shelf up to a picker who grabs it, scans it, and puts it on a conveyor belt to be packaged and sent out. Depending on their station, workers are shown a range of graphics displaying whether they're meeting their rate or falling behind. Some are shown the amount of time they've been working and the number of items they've scanned, along with a moving average, which drops if you take time to go to the bathroom or have a problem with your workstation. Others are shown a graph that rises and falls, and that turns green, yellow, or red depending on how fast they're working. Mm -hmm. Quote, you have to beat the machine, said Faisal Duale, a Somali immigrant who worked at the facility as a temporary employee for three months. It's like a nightmare. All these machines telling you your rate is down. Yeah. And then also also in that article, um, one of the, I think it was someone who was uh, a former employer there who actually got, if I remember right, got let go because of quote unquote productivity issues. That was him. But, oh, that was, Th- that's that was the guy the I just guy, quoted yeah. from. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that, so that same person, um, who got fired, what they, they think was because they were organizing at the workplace. Yep. They're basically saying that the managers are basically just looking at these machines and effectively saying, well, I'm not firing you. The, it, like, the machine the is statistics firing are you. firing you. Yeah. It's like, we have these metrics and you're not meeting them. So you just have to, have to go. You know what right. I mean? Right. And so they're just churn, they can just churn through people because that, because the machine says you got to go. <laughs> you know, basically. The employee said, I think they said something like it was common to get fired on your fourth warning. Right. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you, you get a warning when you fall below the rate you're supposed to mm-hmm. keep. Yeah. They say they're getting fired after the fourth warning. Amazon's official response was that there is no three strikes and you're out rule, which is interesting because that wasn't the rule. It was <laughs> four strikes and you're out. Yeah. Right. Right. And all this contributes to an atmosphere where, you know, people are working increasingly hard. It's summer right now. These conditions are, to quote the workers, unsustainable. Yeah. They, they, it's physically taxing beyond just, you know, the difficulty of keeping up with this robot set pace. Yeah. Well, and it just goes to, I mean, the, the philosophy at play here, uh, you know, that's running these warehouses in this way is that they're going to continue to push this until they start seeing like massive, like just literal human breakdowns to the point where they're like, okay, this is it. And then they're going to walk it back a half a degree. You know what I mean? So they're going to push you right up to the breaking point, find out where the breaking point is. And then company policy will be just under that breaking point. Exactly. So they're not like, they have no, there's no interest in having a, a safe workplace. You know what I mean? They, I mean, they talk about people with, um, repetitive use injuries, you know, people that are unboxing and things like that. And just, and then they can't get workers compensation because all it really takes to avoid that, uh, for an employer is to make sure that they put up posters that say, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And so it becomes your fault. Like when you hurt your wrist, it's because you weren't doing what the poster said, you know what I mean? So you're not entitled to workers compensation or what, or whatever. Well, and, and the employee who had that problem, who worked in a fulfillment center in Texas, that was literally called the meat grinder by the employees that <laughs> worked right. there. Yeah, I remember that. She, um, she specifically said that she didn't want to go to Amazon's in-house clinic because apparently that was stop one in getting fired. Right, yeah. So, yeah. you know, employee employers, sorry, provide these resources, but then using them becomes tantamount to declaring yourself to the company that you want to walk off the job, basically, yeah. or you want to be you like, You aren't no. cut out for this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for that, for, for them, from their point of view, right, it's a great, it serves two purposes, right? It's great PR for them to say, look, we got in-house clinics, you know, for totally sidestepping the fact that you probably shouldn't need a clinic <laughs> at a warehouse. The fact that you even need one in the first place is bad. So but it's good for PR for them. They're like, look, we take care of our own people. And then it serves the, uh, you know, the alternate purpose of like that, like, right, put them on the short list. They're already complaining, you know, like, let's keep an eye on their productivity and let's get them out of here. Yeah. It, it's straight up futile is yeah. what it is. Yeah. 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 And just to speak on good PR, uh, last fall, I think it was November, Amazon announced that they'd be giving all these workers, you know, 15 an hour minimum wage, right. you know, which has been the wage that workers have been calling for across the country for mm-hmm. several years. Uh, Bernie Sanders was part of the push to, you know, publicly make them do this. But in doing so, they also cut benefits. You know, they weren't exactly giving away this just to, for the hell of it. They were, right. you know. Making a cost benefit. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't benevolent in any way. Uh, So I mean, it's it does it's 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 helpful for incoming hires as well as temp workers and things like Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, people that had been there already were only seeing. I think they were seeing a dollar increase uh, in their wage. But then yeah, the loss of the benefits and which were bonuses and incentivized things anyway, which is not a good way to pay people. It's like not. 
you know, incentives to work harder at an how could you work harder at an Amazon warehouse? It sounds right. like it's almost impossible, you know. And they lost the stock rewards program where they would get like right. two shares to start yeah. with and a one share yeah. every year after that. And Amazon said, well, we're replacing it with a plan where you can buy stock. And <laughs> right. one employee pointed out, your shares are $2,000. Right. Mm-hmm. The whole point of the rewards option being a good thing is that yeah. you could count on that being a value. Right. I like make sixteen fifty an hour. How am I going to buy a two thousand dollar exactly shot? Uh, stop, you know, if you, you know, save yeah. carefully. Right. And, exactly. You know, you right. Yeah. Put the onus on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop buying avocado toast. Mm-hmm. And you can you can so afford m- an much Amazon of stock. the current conditions are themselves a response to public pressure that they've seen over the past few years as. Mm-hmm more and more stories come out about what it's actually like to work in these warehouses. You know, there's a push and pull, even without the presence of uh, a union in these warehouses, these fulfillment centers is their term, but we don't have to use it. Nobody's obligating us. (laughs) That's true. We don't have to follow Jeffy's rules. (laughs) Yeah. That's Um, right, Jeffy. (laughs) And speaking of like the lack of a union, there was a there was a bit in this article that uh, I know the two of you particularly enjoyed. (laughs) Um, So mad. (laughs) What was it? Uh, So it was apparently the spokeswoman for Amazon said that there's a business case to be made for unions. So as you just said, the workers Mm -hmm. aren't unionized at uh, this warehouse. Mm -hmm. That's right, Jeffy. We're not using your language (laughs) anymore, but. So she said, "There's a business case. To, uh, there's a business case to be made for unions coming to support them. I guess there were Teamsters and a couple mm. other unions there in support because it will raise union dues. Which, no, right? But Not at least I works. could understand why she would say that. It, it, the, the logical. If you're somebody who's already afraid of unions, like they're Satan, mm-hmm. then I understand <laughs> where her statement makes sense. But then it mentioned, oh, but the workers are." Not unionized. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever. The the union show up and support, and right. maybe they run a fundraising campaign off of that. I don't know how this makes sense, but I guess mm-hmm. it does. And then she immediately proceeds to say that for the workers who are, I repeat, not unionized, mm-hmm. this will somehow allow them to raise membership fees right. for a union that doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's a sure sign of a, of a, "Quote unquote good PR person, right? Because they're all they're doing is they're creating a they're creating a soundbite that then like the twenty four hour news cycle can use and just say, look, the spokesperson from Amazon said that they're just doing this so that they can increase union dues. They're not they're never going to mention that none of these people are unionized. They're only going to use that soundbite to try and discredit the. It, the, it reminds the, me a bit strike. of the uh, like climate change deniers who will say, you know, just follow the money. Look at who's paying these scientists. You know. Right. Ignoring, of course, where the money actually is. Uh, yeah. right. A number the of science. universities? Yeah. That's who's paying these scientists? Like, <laughs> right. The, anyway. the logic. Right. No, it's, it, that's exactly correct. It's, it's an attempt. The, the role of the PR, I recognize that this is the role of the PR person. My parents are PR people. I grew up, in more than one sense, I guess, I grew up around a lot of public relations people who were doing business for a lot of terrible uh, industries and companies and whatnot. So, yeah, I'm familiar with this, but it was just so bald faced yeah. lying yeah. that after a while it just became infuriating. And also, same person at one point looking out at you know the the <laughs> workers walking out and whatnot right. and says, "Well, it's very hot. It'll yeah. be interesting to see how many of them hang out there." Uh, what? Right. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep, this strike is totally going to falter because it's super hot outside. <laughs> and if it does, that's not a good thing. Right. I've heard this kind of thing coming from people who are maybe just a notch below public relations people and sort of the level of evil that they enable in day-to-day life. But I, I never expected to see it just openly quoted in an article. You know where else it's hot? Inside the warehouse. <laughs> Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, like, I, that's why I remember thinking that, too. It was like, well, I'm sure it's no dream inside. I've heard that those warehouses are intensely hot, like, on a very regular basis. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. She, for, she forgot to mention that I, part. I specifically wanted to talk about something you said, Ryan. You were talking about how a lot of the changes in these warehouses have been in, in response to public and media pressure. And I may be the only person that remembers this article, but the very first time I saw this mentioned was, I want to say, it was Mac McClelland. I want to say it was for Mother Jones back when that magazine was worth a damn. And it was in 2010. 
So okay. even then, she was writing about how terrible conditions were in these warehouses, how all of the same stuff that we're talking about right now was going on nine years ago yeah. with a much lower productivity rate, with a lot less automation, all of this stuff. Right. So in other words, nothing has changed. Nothing Amazon is telling you that they've made better in any way has actually improved the lives of their workers. But you presumably knew that because you try to buy things on Prime Day and instead you end up looking at a succession of pretty dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you're perhaps a bit more online, you might have noticed that there were some people telling you do not buy things on Prime Day. You know, the, part part of this walkout was also an organized boycott of Prime Day, with the intent being to, you know, send a message to Amazon yeah. by not participating in their made-up holiday. Yeah. And I don't know if we need to get into the discourse about, you know, whether you should or should not um, support a boycott. You should. Mm-hmm. But it's... What can we say about this? I mean, the way I saw a lot of things being pitched was that you're based. They were effectively asking you not to cross a, like a digital picket line, mm-hmm. which to me makes perfect perfect sense. Right. I mean, that, like you said, boycott yeah, support workers. That's right. you know, there's always people who are going to try to think one step too far and think, you know, well, if you don't buy from Amazon, they're gonna have to make cuts somewhere, which they aren't because they have billions of dollars in revenue. But yeah, it. You, people will wrap themselves in knots to avoid, you know, having to stand in solidarity. That's the thing that I've learned over the past couple of years of online leftism, that people want to do what they want to do, and they will find the moral architecture that allows them to do it. It doesn't matter if it's crossing a picket line or engaging in racist or sexist discourse or whatever it is that they were already doing with their lives. Mm -hmm. They will find a way to justify it. Part of our work as leftists is reminding people that material conditions sometimes demand that you do things that you don't want to. Not not that you can't do. And that's an important difference. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who, for whatever reason needs some kind of online delivery service, then our job should be to replace what Amazon is doing for mm-hmm. you or supplant it so that you don't have to recur to some a collection of evil executives and their right. uh, mistreated workers to do that for you. Yeah. But if you're somebody who can, as Matty Glacius said this morning, I believe, uh, buy five bunches of bananas on Amazon now, then you're honestly just part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And and I get why I get why you might say, well, you can't boycott your way out of this. And that's sort of true. Mm-hmm. That it's not n- sufficient, right? All right. But it is a necessary part of this because the only way that somebody like Jeff Bezos ever changes anything is if it hits him in the pocketbook. Mm-hmm. That's all he has going for him. That's all his object in life is at this point. Mm-hmm. And though we on the left have a saying that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but that is not an excuse to do the most unethical thing you can. That is, right. you know, saying, okay, there's no good options here, but you should still, when possible, when it's when workers are telling you to stand in solidarity with them, you do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, gen- your your general stance should be with the workers. And right. then, and you do that as often as you possibly can. You know, to Noah's point, your your quality of life shouldn't be dependent on the absolute misery of other people. Like when you're referring to people that may actually physically need delivery systems like Amazon or something like that, even if that's the case, it shouldn't require a meat grinder somewhere for other people to fulfill your needs. Like there's no, there's just no need for that. Right. And to a certain degree, I think part of this is informed by I think there's a lot of people who kind of give up on seeing the long-term picture. And there may come a point at which individual action and individual choice does matter to some degree. Maybe it doesn't right now because Amazon is Amazon and it owns everything, including (laughs) us. But there may come a point at which that's not meaningfully true. And if you haven't trained yourself to seek out ethical choices Mm -hmm. and to think about why you buy things the way that you do, then you're not going to be prepared for that moment either let alone now when it's relatively low stakes. Yeah. Having made this little point about the boycott and why you should have taken part in it if you knew about it, um, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back with more about this strike and broader issues facing Amazon and its workforce. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. 
Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hi, all And Earl. Hello again. We've been talking about uh, this strike that took place, this walkout, rather, we should say, at, that took place at Amazon last week, um, took place at one of their uh, f- warehouses in uh, Shakopee, Minnesota. And we've been reading from this uh, lengthy article about the walkout and the context surrounding it by uh, Josh Ziza in The Verge. And one of the segments that I thought we should give a little more time to is this bit where it describes um, Amazon's relationship to the East African Muslim community in Minnesota where this warehouse is located. To quote from the article, the protests in Shakopee began in the East African Muslim community, which makes up a sizable chunk of the fulfillment center staff. When Amazon opened its fulfillment center in 2016, it recruited heavily from the Minneapolis neighborhood of Cedar Riverside, sometimes called Little Mogadishu. Amazon put up billboards in the neighborhood and initially ran a direct service to its warehouse. That bus became the first opportunity to organize. Amazon cut funding for it in late 2017, and frustrated workers circulated a petition to bring it back. Yeah, so Amazon basically says, oh, here's this like you know, predominantly uh, immigrant neighborhood. Let's see if we can bring them into the warehouse where we can put them through the meat grinder, right? And hey, we'll even provide you a bus so that you have no excuse not to come to work here. And then as soon as the workers are like, you know, there's an awful lot of us on this bus, and you know what sucks? Work. Uh, and then they start talking about it, and Amazon's like, no more bus. No more bus. They're just, it's just, and it speaks to a, you know, a, Pretty lengthy history in Amazon uh, in Amazon's um, history of retaliatory things against any kind of organization. I mean, but that's just that's just plain on its face. Like, yeah. <laughs> workspaces love to do this stuff. The only time you can get anything like common space is if your managers can use it to spy on you. So, without getting too identifiable, we have had a tradition at my workplace that on uh, one day a week, the company pays for lunch. And it used to be a pretty decent lunch, uh, pretty good catering, and it was supposed to be a time for employees to come together and hang out and talk about anything but work. But unfortunately, that's not really how it worked out because it's a very short lunch and you have to walk across the building to get it and all of this stuff. And once they realized that people were, number one, didn't have enough time to actually get there, and number two, that they were mostly using it to complain about the rest of the week, they moved it elsewhere, made it worse so fewer people would end up participating in it. And eventually I realized that part of the reason they were doing that is because none of the managers show up anymore because it's so bad. So, of course, now that they can't use it as an espionage opportunity, they're looking for every possible way to minimize it while still pretending that, oh, this is a nice thing we do for you guys. Yeah. Um, Because when it was was an espionage opportunity – they constantly told us that we needed to show up. Yeah, there, even though it was optional. There are just there are many. I mean, you know, my list of things that I hate about <laughs> capitalism are, is lengthy, but that that uh, duality of it always has to serve. Like there always has to be some agenda for anything that the that the company does that doesn't have anything to do. It it always serves the workplace. You like, you no might say what, you if know? I put on my Amazon <laughs> spokesperson voice that there's a business case to be made for those decisions. <laughs> right, yeah, Interesting. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Noah and I, you were, we, we were on this, the episode a few weeks back about undocumented immigration specifically. And these people working at the Amazon warehouse in Shakopee are documented by all accounts. They are, you know, some are citizens, some are, you know, refugees on visas, whatever the case may be. I guess the question we should tease out here is, you know, why did Amazon make this push to hire within this community? Why did they focus on, you know, this community of, you know, migrants and refugees for its warehouse workers? For the same reason that a sitting U.S. representative can uh, get an entire crowd of people nowhere near her to start shouting, send her back. Mm-hmm. Because an immigrant population, whether they check all the boxes or not, whether their, pa- their paperwork is, on, uh, is all in order or not, is easier to control, is easier to mess with. I would, I would guarantee you right now, I, <laughs> I don't care what Amazon tells us, I would guarantee you right now that at least one manager at that factory has threatened somebody's immigration status. 
Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm sure. Uh, I, I think another thing that goes on there, too, is that they're sort of preying on the hopefulness of people that are coming to the U.S. Because a lot of people that immigrate to the U.S. are coming in with the expectation of the land of milk and honey and all that sort of uh, old school stuff. And even so, uh, Hibak Muhammad, right? Is that, I'm, I'm afraid I was going to screw it. up her name. Uh, is someone that I wanted to talk about uh, as they come up in the Verge article quite a bit. You know, Somali native uh, immigrated to the United States and basically was just quickly, you know, disillusioned because of it started out sort of okay and then just became grueling and she was watching people get fired left and right. And basically what she said is, I'm new in the country and I know we have rights. That's what America does. It makes things better. So that was her assumption coming into the, that I'm going to come here. Things are going to be better for me. I'm going to be safer. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to be happier. And so if that's your mindset and you get bust in you know, from your neighborhood to this workplace – they literally might think that that's, this is the American work culture. This is as good as it gets. 100%. You know, which is so cynical. <laughs> the, 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 myth of, the myth of American work culture doesn't even have to be as idealistic as the land of milk and honey, right? right. It, it just has to be you work hard enough, you'll get rewarded, blah, right. blah, blah. And yeah. what you always see, especially now, but what you've always seen over the course of the last 250 years yeah. is that that's never true except for a very, very, very small subset of a small class that is usually dependent on the misery and forced labor of the classes under them. Yeah. And it's just, it's just such a, I mean, you know, it's just such a rotten thing to do to somebody, right? They come to you like hoping for the best and then you literally just treat them as literally disposable. Like we're just going to burn you out and then we're going to fire you when you can't do it anymore, or we're going to fire you when you get hurt, or whatever. And then you're just going to be on your own. You know, that's just such a rotten thing to do to somebody. And you know, this is obviously a problem that extends way beyond Amazon. Oh, you of course. look at something yeah. like you know the hotel industry, the housekeeping staff is primarily oh. you know immigrants, yeah. Spanish-speaking immigrants, yeah. and it's not just a present-day matter. You you go all the way back through this country's history. There are countless examples of immigrant populations being used as cheap and more exploitable labor, even, you know, if they have all the same rights as American citizens, you know, things like the language and cultural barriers make pose an obstacle towards organizing. And I, I think you also see, you know, you know, the moment immigrants start, you know, voicing when they can organize to voice their complaints, there is a subset of the native born population whose reaction will not be towards solidarity, but instead to say, send them back. Even when they come from immigrant backgrounds themselves, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like, you're still a terrible person if you're some dude whose family came over in, I don't know, 1646, right. and this is your attitude. But when you're somebody who's two generations removed mm -hmm. or three generations removed or whatever, when you definitely wouldn't be where you are if not for previous generations of immigrants raising their voices and having them be heard, right. I find that especially despicable. Yeah. I mean, it's – we are – as a culture, we are extremely good at pulling up the ladder behind us. Mm -hmm. We are very, very good at having generations of people climb up that ladder and get to wherever they're going to get to and then promptly just pull it up before the next generation can get there. And I think one of the things that you're seeing is that now that, now that they're not even bothering to leave like one rung in the air – for the next people to to jump for and, and try to catch, and I'm rapidly losing track of this metaphor. It's good. Um, There's a ladder. We're with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now that they're not even bothering to leave that little bit of hope, I think that's why you're seeing more discontent because uh, we've done these episodes before. I remember doing the the one about the anthracite mine strike yeah. where the mine owner was like, why do half, why, why should these workers get benefits and better pay when half of them can't even speak English? Yeah. It's like, that doesn't make them not people. Yeah. Mm. What, these human beings? What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, <laughs> since when do you have to speak? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wait, if you speak more languages, does that make you more yeah. of a human being? Because then Pete Buttigieg is apparently more of a human being than all of us in this room. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's and one of the things that frustrates me the most about that, the, the latter uh, analogy, uh, is that people now, one of the most pervasive things that capitalism uh, has succeeded in doing is making people think that that's the natural state of affairs, right? That it's like, it's just dog eat dog and blah. And they forget that we came from, you know, a society of people that lived communally and worked together and that this, 
you know, dog eat dog thing is a thing that's specifically meant to keep us at each other's heels so that they can continue to reap the rewards of our labor, basically. And it's sort of impressive that this walkout, this, you know, first action from the community towards, uh, from an Amazon fulfillment center towards, you know, their bosses to walk out is coming from this community in particular, given, you know, the disadvantages to organizing they face. Right. But they also have a pretty lengthy history, even just in the few years since this fulfillment center opened up with pushing back against Amazon. Uh, Quoting again from the article, 2018, Prime Day coincided with Ramadan, and workers were concerned that Amazon's heavy and fast-paced workload would make it impossible to fast or pray. In May, workers at the Shakopee Center handed out flyers urging their coworkers to wear blue, the color of Somali flag, and solidarity. The day before the scheduled protest, a manager said on-site prayer rooms would be set up and the workers would have their quotas temporarily lowered. Quote, that was amazing, but it didn't continue, said Muhammad. The pressures of making rate were still too great. They could pray, but the rate would continue to drop as they did so. And afterward, they would have to work double. Workers protested in June and again in December of last year. Amazon representatives began meeting with Awood, which is this group that has come together to represent the workers in effect, not mm-hmm. a union, but, you know, yeah. uh, and Minnesota workers, and said it would make some small changes, requiring a general manager and a Somali-speaking manager to agree on firings related to work rates and having a manager meet with workers quarterly. The New York Times described it at the time as the first known case of workers getting Amazon management to negotiate in the U.S., though the company said the meetings were not negotiations, but a form of community engagement. Yeah, but they also call warehouses fulfillment centers. So right, yeah, they they love making. making I, up I really want to publish a dictionary of the English language according to Amazon, which will be unreadable because right. everything will be more complicated than the term. It's the tech industry as a whole. Uh, yeah, yeah, a that's a good. Well, now it's every industry. It's very, to very be jargon. Honest. Yeah, very jargon heavy. Yeah, um, you have to be. You have to have cool language <laughs> right. if you want uh, to be recognized. But that's very. I mean, that's. You know, pretty. That's a pretty small representative example of what's common at Amazon and lots of other companies as well. Is that they are willing to make these very small PR gestures with no intention of making any real changes. Or I mean, that's why. I mean, it just takes constant vigilance to 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 win any kind of tiny concession from these people. And I think we'll probably get. I mean, I imagine we'll probably get a little bit more into this in like the last segment of the of the hour. But I think that 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 contradictory. philosophy with uh jeffy bezos in particular but it's also very common you know he's exploiting uh immigrants as hard as possible and then turns around and gives a little bit of money to for undocumented immigrants to go to school and says things here hang on i got an actual quote what this dude said oh yes it's this was yeah hilarious okay regarding immigration uh jeffy bezos says i'd let them in if it were me i like them i want all of them in but this is a great country, and it does need to be defended. Right? Well, can you really quickly tell me why Jeffy was saying that? So that was uh, in reference to questions about recognition with a K, because Thank that's you. that's our visionary uh, leader, Bezos' best version of coming up with a name for some technology. Uh, but they're, they're used by uh, potential use by ICE, and then also it's already in use, uh, the facial recognition technology in uh, Oregon and Florida. Oregon and Florida, I think. Interesting. And, and um, they're pitching it to it, other police agencies, it, too. Right. Yeah. More on that later. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I only wanted to bring that up because we've got, uh, it was speaking to the PR, the, like the, the public relations nature of do, making these little concessions is that, you know, a Bezos, a person who's worth $150 billion, who personally, runs, you know, the liberal Washington Post. Right, exactly. We'll give democracy a, a pittance. Dies yeah. in darkness. <laughs> Every time. Uh, you know, we'll give a pittance of his vast fortune to, uh, you know, an undoc- undocumented immigrants college fund while, you know, on, in a day-to-day capacity is just an exploitation machine, runs an exploitation machine. You know what I mean? It's just like you can't, you can't be both. Well, and half the both. country – and you could maybe try to get if, – if this – if the population of this country in general really believed in anything like religious freedom, mm-hmm. you can't see how hard my veins are popping at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But trust me, they are. 
then you could at least say, well, look, they're not respecting the rights of these workers, are they? Right. Because now if uh, if they're praying, their their sacred time is being interfered with and so on. But right. half the country doesn't care because uh, the people in question are Muslims. Right. And another portion of the country doesn't care because Jeff Bezos is technically a Democrat. Right. So yeah. and you all you often see this argument uh, in regards to free speech. You know that you know corporations can do what they want. You know they aren't the government, so it doesn't matter. You know what, you know the First Amendment says they can fire you for whatever reason they want. Which, uh, no, they technically can't. true. Well, it, it's not anymore, though. We work mm-hmm. protections into the law, which again goes back to previous generations of people making it clear that corporate power shouldn't be absolute, and not just that. There's a canard that I find particularly infuriating, and I am bringing it up because I very recently heard somebody say it in so many words. But this idea that what we need in the country or what you need at the state or local or whatever level is you need businessmen, not politicians. First of all, it's always businessmen. It's never business people. Right. It's never people of means. Yes. It's always businessmen, right? But second of all, businessmen are American politicians mm-hmm. because ultimately nothing gives you political power in the U.S. like money does. Right. If you have if you have capital, you are automatically more powerful than a senator, a representative, a mayor, anything, a, right. gov- a state governor, whatever. So there is and, – and as Ryan just pointed out, corporations and their owners have so much more power over our lives than any <sighs> individual or even any group of legislators do. There were legislators at that event, right. at the strike, at the walkout that we're talking about mm-hmm. in support of them. Neither of them could have just pushed through a unilateral bill saying this is what Amazon has to do to keep that warehouse open. But Amazon can make changes unilaterally and bribe legislators into preventing those changes from uh, being illegalized in any way. And now they're they're even pitching to the agency that controls immigration into and out of the country, pitching them a thing that would help them further exploit those workers. Right. Yeah. Well, and also could potentially be used for surveilling mass protest, and which mm-hmm. also, as as a target of mass protest, could also serve them quite well. Yep. Uh, you know, um, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a great place to leave off this discussion and uh, take a break before we return with our final segment. Hey, hey, guys! You know that feeling you have at work—that dead inside feeling. Bad news: we can't really help with that good news we can help you waste some time at work you're listening to punching out on wayo lp fm rochester your boss isn't listening but we are welcome back to punching out i'm ryan joined still by noah hi and earl hey We've been talking about Amazon. We've been discussing, you know, the labor conditions at their warehouses. And we're going to pivot now in this last segment to talk about some of the other projects they have going on and how they relate to the broader picture of Amazon and workers. Uh, Specifically, we're going to talk about this uh, algorithm of theirs, I guess you could call it, called recognition. With With a K. K. (laughs) Um, It does facial recognition with a C. And they uh, <laughs> <laughs> just want to make sure that they know that we know how to spell recognition. Yes. <laughs> right. And and they've been pitching it to various law enforcement agencies, which seems to be the primary use for such a tool. Uh, I, I think you said in the last segment that uh, it's in place in like Oregon and Florida, yeah, and no longer in Florida because oh, as of uh, yesterday. Yeah. The Orlando's pilot with the program has come to an end. The uh, city of Orlando, which had been, you know, testing this technology out first in secret, and then after, like, well, that's great. The ACLU uncovered it publicly. You know, they were openly doing this. Decided that they aren't going to continue with the program. Uh, to quote from uh, Orlando Weekly, is where the article is from. The city's second pilot phase with the software, called Recognition, began in October 2018 using four cameras at the police department's headquarters, three in downtown, and one outside a community recreation center. The technology is designed to automatically identify and track suspects in real time using facial recognition algorithms. And they're not going to do that anymore, but before you get too happy, uh, it's not for a particularly great reason. Um, their issue with it is that they just don't have the technology to make it effective. Their, yeah. their cameras are too high. 
is is the problem. So they're only catching the tops of people's heads. And that's not good if you need to see people's faces on these cameras. Look, if Jeff Bezos is worth $150 billion and Amazon is worth $11 billion, they can make it work, okay? They should be able to identify people well, off the tops of their heads. They're pivoting, yeah. <laughs> Quoting from the article, Amazon offered to supply Orlando with its own surveillance cameras oh, for the pilot, crap. but the city declined, which m- momentary uh, – Good call, I guess. Yeah, from yeah, Orlando. Sure. Um, quoting uh, Orlando, known for its good, the land <laughs> yeah. of good choices. <laughs> sorry, that was a cheap shot at Florida. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. They can take it. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. It's Magic Kingdom. Yeah. Um, this is from uh, the chief administrative office in a memo to Orlando City Council. Quote: At this time, the city was not able to dedicate the resources to the pilot to enable us to make any noticeable progress toward completing the needed configuration and testing. So basically what they're saying is they didn't have the technology ready to really put this to use and they didn't have the effort to actually yeah, create it. Yeah, it was going to cost them so much to like yeah. retrofit it. That's yeah. what I think it is. Yeah. Um, well, you know, good it, for Florida. It, it Here's a phrase yeah. you never hear. Good for Florida? Good for, yeah, that's yeah. true. Question yeah, that's mark? fine. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, a uh, lot. Th- basically, they were able to you know, live stream in their office, you know, whatever might be going on. And in theory, this technology would identify whatever suspects might appear on those streams, you know, in these public places, which... And that's a big in theory, isn't it? Because there there was an article sometime around 2018 where the ACLU in Northern California acquired several thousand publicly available arrest photos, notably without telling anybody where they got them, apparently, Mm -hmm. um, but compared them to photos of lawmakers in the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate and got 28 hits. Right. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. For all we know, those are correct. I was going to say. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Insert politicians yeah. or crooks jokes here. Yeah. But the uh, Amazon's response was the somewhat lame. You used an 80% confidence uh, oh. interval or whatever, yeah. which is not what we would use for that. Yeah, it's what cops would use for that. I guarantee you that much. Yeah. Yeah. Police agencies are so well known for their restraint right. when using technology, right? Mm-hmm. Well, body cams, they definitely have restraint using those, yeah. but otherwise. Well, also, it was also mentioned in one of the articles, too, that this thing, that the facial rec actually struggles more with people of color. Yeah. Like it's even harder. So now it's you know the like, going to be like, well, it we It struggles particularly, don't want this I, I think, with differentiating uh, dark skinned women from men is, mm. is the problem huh. that they encounter a lot. So. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you should be spelling it with three Ks then. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, but uh, lovers of surveillance, you know, do not despair uh, because Amazon has other means of creating a surveillance state. Don't worry. I'm quoting now from a Slate piece. Uh, Amazon appears to be having better luck looking to civilian customers to help it break into the per- police surveillance market. With Amazon's Ring smart camera doorbell, for months the company has been partnering partnering with local police departments to hand out free or discounted Ring systems to residents, which allows police to request and access footage directly from the smart doorbell cameras using Ring's neighborhood app. Police departments in cities as big as Dallas, Philadelphia, Birmingham, Phoenix, and Oklahoma City have all joined Ring's police program, according to a new map from the digital rights advocacy group Fight for the Future. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, Ring is, uh, you might know them from their commercial, which is like, in a way, the like ethos of suburban fascism, which is this scrawny guy in a gym. He's got glasses on. And, you know, these very obviously adult people are walking up to his door ready to do crimes. And, <laughs> and he's just on his phone in the gym, you know, saying... You, You'd better run, boys. You know, he it's a power fantasy. Really, oh, yeah, is, sure. Is what, what it lends yeah. to um, a certain person, certain type of person. Yeah. Well, that's really depressing. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I was, I was, just, I sort of forgot my point for a second, but then I remembered, you know, stuff like that. I think we talked on the show at one point or other about terms of service, like from things like Facebook or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very good chance that's buried somewhere deep in Ring's terms of service uh, that there may be something like by installing this, you uh, you know consent to. I, I imagine there has to be. Yeah. Or yeah. well, the thing is, even if there isn't, it's pretty easy to add something like that. If there's start yep. making agreements with uh, local, you know, or even federally or whatever, they start making agreements oh, and, and say. 
Like in the government may even subsidize. Like, well, we'll subsidize the cost of the thing if you, mm. you know, who the, oh, all right. They it's definitely will because oh, yeah. uh, uh, CNET reported last month that law enforcement in New Jersey, California, Indiana, and other states have offered discounts of up to $125 for mm. residents to buy a ring system. Typical ring system can cost $99 to $500. Yeah, as, there it is. As I keep saying on the show, this is one of my bugbears, it is always easier to enforce a non-mandatory standard. Mm-hmm. If police start having uh, access to his Amazon technology and they can use it within the bounds of a city, you can fight them with the ACLU, you can sue them in court, you can do any number of things, you can take them on constitutionally. But if it's your neighbors right. just getting a good deal on a private security mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. then what you're taking on is not constitutional rights, but consumer action. Yeah. And now you have a problem because that's supposed to be sacred. Yeah. Because right. it's so important you. to How dare you? Yeah, it's and who wouldn't want to have one of these cameras to make sure their Amazon packages aren't being taken off the porch? Honestly. You know? mm-hmm. Synergy. I was just going to say. There we go. <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, continuing. In the city of Hammond, Indiana, CNET reported that Amazon provided $18,750 for the city to subsidize getting ring devices installed in residents' homes, figured that was matched by the city. When Fight for the Future compiled its new map of cities that have partnered with Ring, the team found that the local departments all used the same template press release, according to Evan Greer, which she speculates was likely provided to the various departments by Amazon. These partnerships are the perfect example of how corporate surveillance and government surveillance are inextricably linked, Greer said. Well, with Amazon in particular, too, I mean, I don't know how familiar, uh, you know, non-tech-oriented people are with Amazon Web Services, but Amazon Web Services runs, physically runs, the majority of the internet at this at this point. Uh, right. I mean, Netflix is, basically any video streaming service that isn't YouTube is run on Amazon. Um, and just, it's just a massive network. But besides that, uh, the consumer internet, the a- Amazon has a private dedicated service that they run for the CIA. So -hmm. like Amazon in particular is very, very well uh, embedded with government agencies already. And I mean, another quote we got from Bezos like a couple months ago was, quote, if big tech companies are going to turn their backs on the Department of Defense, we are in big trouble. Yeah, that was that's just an outward statement of support. Like, nope, we're good with we're good with this. That's because Amazon is up for what I believe to be a $10 billion contract for the Pentagon, which actually very, very recently, I want to say like maybe a couple days back, a judge actually put on hold because another tech company uh, revealed that Amazon has certain conflicts of interest in in getting this contract through. But Mm. I just wanted to get this mentioned on the show. The the Hmm? conflicts of interest held something up. It's amazing. It's 2019. Come on. Yeah, seriously. I thought we were leaving that in yeah. like. <laughs> well, this is one of those quick instances too, where two corporate giants fighting each other actually That's what works it is. out for the best for us because they're just like well, for the moment. For the moment, right? Exactly. Yeah, right, it was right. it was Oracle, and yeah. we talked about this is the contract that Google was up for that its own employees stopped right. them from engaging in. Microsoft apparently mm-hmm. sort of basically already torpe- tried to torpedo Amazon and failed after they didn't get it. And then Oracle is now taking them on. But right. anyway, the contract is named the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, or JEDI, <laughs> in proof positive of why we really need to stop letting Star Wars nerds dictate <laughs> national security. Right. Would, or we, anything. If we really. didn't learn anything during the Reagan era, uh, you know, mm. what, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so that's the, that's the thing about it. It's Bezos, he gets to sit there in one of his many houses with what I imagine to be extremely minimalistic furniture that's super uncomfortable to sit in. And wildly expensive. Yes. <laughs> and contemplate, you right. know, this idea. He gets to look at this in the abstract. He gets to look at it at the idea of, well, my wealth needs defending, even though it's all fictional and tied up in, you know, some random digital format. Right. While the workers that we've been talking about that walked out at that warehouse, for them, these are realities that are... Uh, inescapable and they're very very concrete yeah and so he gets to look out at the future and say well if if i don't have a a country that will pay me to give them these smart house security systems and whatever then you know i basically live in a country where anybody could take my wealth away at any time it's not true but that's how he thinks right yeah well that and that you know harkens back to what we were talking about in segment two um that noah brought up with these some people have this mindset of that a business person is going to be 
a better public servant or public representative than a politician would be for reasons I don't quite understand because you take something like like Be- Bezos's version of the future and I know I've talked about this before because I just talk about space all the time but uh, Bezos's version of the future is a world where we have we have gone out into the cosmos we're now a trillion person population and he has some quote about you know, w- with that type of population, there will be a thousand Mozarts and a-, a thousand Einsteins, right? So that's a very business person statistical way to look at a future, right? It's not that the ratio of Mozarts or Einsteins or whatever metric he's using has gone up, like in terms of percentage of the total population. It's that in an absolute sense, like, yes, there's a trillion people. So now we have a thousand Einsteins because just by virtue of having it, it's a very brute force uh, imperialistic, you know, uh, growth at any cost. I mean, he refers to it as growth as dynam- and dynamicism, which is the only way that he can look at the world. So you've got this person that some people are like, he's such a visionary. He doesn't even have enough imagination to think of a world outside of brute force, just throw people at it until and, you fix it. And the response to that uh, quote about, you know, we're going to have all these Einsteins. We're going to be able to produce all these Einsteins. Is a produce. Quote that, Ugh. Yeah. Cursed. Oh, yeah is a, a quote that already exists. Um, it's from Stephen Jay Gould. I think it's fairly well known, uh, at least in some circles it might be. Uh, quote, I am somehow less interested in the weight and con- convolutions of Einstein's brain than in the near certainty that people of equal talent have lived and died in cotton fields and sweatshops. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, so you've got, you've got this guy like Bezos who's basically saying, well, the world would be better off with a Mozart, with a thousand Mozarts and a thousand Einsteins, whatever, and at the same time, which this goes back to what we were talking about, where they're like Amazon is in bed with ICE and whoever, and is at the same time like throwing these pittances at, um, you know, developing undocumented immigrants for their college funds and things like that. Um, they're saying one thing, and then day to day they're doing the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Like if you truly wanted more, uh, it, because accomplishments like that, like being a Mozart, being an Einstein, being someone that's Living because those people, what are, what are they doing really? They're living to their full potential, right? They're, and that's exactly what that Gould quote is speaking to: is that we've got, we've had a million Mozarts and they've all died in the cotton field. Yeah. you know what I mean. The and mo- so the way to get there is to, you know, maybe for for example, in Seattle where uh, Amazon lobbied the hell out of the town basically to make them drop that tax for large employers. And now uh, Seattle has this incredible homeless problem, which just as an, as something that specifically the tax was meant to provide housing. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. now, and just as like a, like uh, something that drives me nuts. I saw at the gym the other day on, cause I don't want really watch TV like uh, Fox news in general, but it was on, it happened to be on in the stupid machine that I was in front of. They were referring to like Seattle and San Francisco as liberal wastelands. And it's like, okay, just change that to capitalist wastelands, and I'm totally on board. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. This, vis- this visionary who's got a plan for the future doesn't even want to pay a, like a pittance of a tax in Seattle to help people live with dignity or to let the people that work that, – that makes him – like you know, 150 billion dollars. That's crazy. Like to, to those people, they can't even work in dignity. But he's got the best interest in the future humanity for sure. That yeah. dude, he's well, the dude. And and just imagine in that vision of the future, those Mozarts and those Einsteins would be working at a fulfillment center. I right. mean, they are now. Yeah. But what I'm saying is they'd be working at one where instead of the shelves, there's just you know musical instruments and whiteboards with you know yeah. assorted mathematical right. formulas yeah. or whatever yeah and then a billion more are going to be dying in asteroid mines exactly or something you know like <laughs> um we, st- we started this segment talking about amazon surveillance and that might seem sort of tangential to our larger point of as a show about you know labor where we talk about workers and you might be wondering okay wh- what does amazon surveillance thing have to do with work and i guess the point i want to make is all of us here would say that we're not really happy with that sort of surveillance power being in private hands, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. That, that seems bad, right? It shouldn't be in yeah. anybody's hands, ultimately. Right. And the question becomes then, how, who and how do we you know, put in the power to stop that from happening? Because Amazon's going to do it if we do nothing, right? And right. oftentimes on the left, you know, we say, okay, the state should be a check against you know these private interests doing whatever they want. But in this case... The state's interests and you know capital's interests are very similar. Yeah, you the know, state is licensing the tech from industry. You right? know, exactly. Police departments, ICE, these are all agents of the government that right. want this technology as as badly as Amazon wants to give it to them. Mm-hmm. So 
what there has to be is, you know, another source of power. And these workers, the workers at Amazon, whether it's in their fulfillment centers or in Seattle, in their, you know, headquarters doing the tech work, they have power to, right. if they choose to use it, to put a stop to these sorts of things. We've seen examples in recent months of Amazon workers actually pushing to uh, push back against their giving this technology to ICE. Right. And in fact, uh, in the article from The Verge about the walkout in Minnesota, uh, it was noted that the workers in Minnesota had allies among those in Seattle who were pushing for Amazon to do better with regards to climate change. There were people from Amazon, from uh, this group called Amazon Employees for Climate Justice at the walkout in Minnesota because in some way these struggles are connected. They are they may seem very disparate. They might seem like totally different strands, but they're all part of this. They boil down to the issue of who has the power and right. who should have the power. That's exactly right. It's capital versus labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the yeah, in our eternal efforts to like end the episodes on a positive note, that's a very positive note that we've we've gotten for this. We've got people like we had workers at Google. Uh, was it Project Maven? Was that the one yes, where they were like, no, exactly no uh, contracts, no defense contracts? Um, you know, and one, I think there was a tech worker. I think it wasn't that Verge article that basically said something along the lines that do you, do you have? You yeah, We see these two struggles as very much related," said Weston Fribley, an Amazon software engineer. Amazon employees often don't have a say in the decisions that affect their work and their communities, or how their work is used. Tech workers, he said, are often atomized and don't spend a lot of time thinking about their common goals. He found the Shakopee protests inspiring, seeing how a close-knit community banded together to push for change. Quote, we're here to let them know that Seattle is not just this ominous cloud that hangs over their work life, but that there are people there paying attention to what they're doing and will stand with them and support them. Harold, they've been listening to you. Yeah, that's, uh, that would make me really happy. Uh, uh, along with that dude having what is clearly a, a Rick and Morty name. That is, that uh, is that a was, Charles yeah, Dickens ass name yeah. right there. Uh, but but yeah, that's I remember that specifically reading that part about the atomization of the the tech employees and stuff, and how now they're starting to realize that because there are a lot of sort of you know center left leftist people that are working in you know you've got a lot of like crypto punks and stuff like that that end up going to getting these these jobs because you know it beats freelancing or whatever so you've got some people in those in those uh places that have the right political inclinations and now they're starting to see themselves come together despite the fact that a lot of them will work remotely or whatever so right. that's a great that's a huge win for uh tech organizing i would say nothing makes people go left like one recognizing that in this country which so badly wants to pull you to the right no matter what mm-hmm. nothing makes people go left like realizing that there are other people who believe in the same things that they do yeah and like succeeding Right. It, it, any kind of ability, any any kind of successful solidarity, any kind of success, successful action, mm-hmm. only helps people realize that they have power to affect the environment around them. Yeah. Ultimately, so Earl, you were talking about this that this state that we are in, the competitive state of, we're all at each other's throats constantly. It's a doggy dog world, and how artificial that is. Yeah. How constructed that is by the forces of capital that want to keep us all down. Mm-hmm. The only way you can beat that is with solidarity, is with seeing your struggles at your workplace or your building connected with the struggles of the rest of the working class, wherever it is that they happen to be. Because when when it comes down to it, as Ryan was saying, it is ultimately just about power. If you don't have it, yeah. then you are, uh, no matter what you work at, no matter how well paid you are, actually probably to an extent it does matter, but whatever, no matter what your benefits are like, you are still in the same position that one of these people are. You are still selling your labor to make a living, yeah. and you are not in a position to demand, ultimately, right. what you should be getting already. Yeah. Well, a lot I've, re- I've heard that referred to as like the like the lack of bandwidth that's caused by poverty basically right so like you're so it be it, the people that have that are in the positions that have the time to think about these things and produce even if it's just i mean you know i don't want to like you know i don't think the the proliferation of meme culture or something like that is super important but if that's what you can do to sort of pass these ideas along and stuff because there are people that are literally working so hard that they they're they're focused so much on the next paycheck and how to stretch it out and stuff mm-hmm. like that or whatever, that they, do, that they don't have this like bandwidth to consider these ideas. And so you want to bring them in in any way necessary and say, look, man, like 
we know it sucks for you. We're doing the best that we can. These are the things that you can do, whatever, whether it's boycotting Amazon or whatever, you know, and then as hopefully as we make progress, their bandwidth grows, everyone's bandwidth grows, and then the snowball sort of keeps moving in that right direction. It can be easy at times to say, well, you know, to look at this community in Minnesota and say, well, that's several states away. It's not really my issue. Okay, yes, they have these labor issues, but I can get $5 off on an SD card. Right. You know? Yeah. Or buy a camera lens for 94 bucks when it's normally 13000 yeah, right. <laughs> Great work. Anyway. We did it. But the point is to not take the easy way out because the easy way out is ultimately keeps us all in the same rat race. It it, it is right. unhelpful. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's remember it's just yeah, it comes down to solidarity. Remember that that thing that you have it, that those savings come at a cost basically right. and they're very and they're very human. Um and yeah. And That's if we have to motivate you some other way, remember that the thing that Jeff Bezos and people like him are most afraid of is a unified working class standing against them and actually right. using the power that they have. Yeah. Because they they already do know that, that yeah. we're yeah. the ones that with the power and not them. <laughs> that mm-hmm. They rely on us acquiescing. <laughs> they are trying desperately to keep us from realizing it. Right, absolutely. Look at us. We found a way to make this positive. Boom. Hey. Take that recognition with a K. Screw you, right. um, you, Jeffy. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we have to say about Amazon for now. We'll probably talk about them again at some point in the future. Unfortunately. Uh, for this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Noah. I'm Earl. This is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.